Hello again. Welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to tune in. God, help me to get through this. Help me to get through this. Help me to get through this. I think, again, I've said this before, I think God allows his children to go through times of adversity. I think God does that so that the world can see what the difference is between someone who knows him and someone who doesn't. Have you ever heard a child say, Mummy, I called you, but you didn't come. And as it turned out, Mummy hadn't heard the call. In times of adversity, we should call on God. Fortunately, he always hears. God has much to offer for those times of adversity. Tonight, Dr. Corbett is in Lamentations. You came near when I called. Holy Spirit, you don't need our invitation. You definitely do not need our permission because you're God. But Lord, there is something that, that opens a gate in our own heart when, when we say, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. And I'm mindful, God, that there could be people listening today, watching today, perhaps watching this down the track, who for them, you are very distant. They don't even know if you exist. So I pray that by the end of this time together, there would be irrefutable proof in the hearts of everyone listening and watching that not only are you who you say you are, but you are extremely involved, not just interested, you are involved in every person's life here. Father, there are some sitting before me in this auditorium right now who through this week have wondered, do you even care? And they know who they are. And Spirit of God, as you've put this on my heart to say to them, I care, I care, and my plan for you has not changed. And that, Lord, today we might hear your voice and the word written all those thousands of years ago 
would ring true in every heart here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Lamentations chapter uh, 3, and this is a part of the Jeremiah series. This is, if you're interested, and I'm not exactly sure why you might be interested, but if you are interested, this is Jeremiah part 177. And this is, I think, my sixth year into the Jeremiah series. This is taken from verses 55, 56, 57. It's a beautiful little interlude in Jeremiah's poetic prayer that's happening here in Lamentations. And that's what a lament is, a, is an expression of sadness. And, the, and the, the ingenious of it here is that Jeremiah is doing it with poetry. Very, very clever. Every one of these verses starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, of which there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter 3 is the Hebrew alphabet times 3. So, it's the, so every letter is, every verse for the, is in groups of three. The first three verses start with the Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and so on, all the way through to the final letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It's very, very clever the way he's done this. He's taken a very bleak situation and he's put it to poetry. One of the points that I, I hope to bring out and I hope becomes something that is a part of our zigging is that we live in a world that consumes. The Christian church, can I tell you, for not just centuries, but for millennia, at least, at least 1.8 millennia, was not a church of consuming. It was a church of producing. What I mean by that is when it came to art, media, scholarship, literature, it was almost all coming out of the church for about 1.8 millennia. The church was able to inspire some of the greatest pieces of art, some of the greatest literature. Do you realise that we've seen that from the outset, God inspired production. We, we've seen with Jubal, the father of music, musical instruments and musicality. We saw with his brother Tubalcain, the father of metallurgy. God inspires production. So this is what happens when you get into God's presence. You become someone who gets creative ideas. This morning, if you have a moment where you're bored, and I hope you don't, but if you do, can I just tell you that is perfectly okay because it's in those moments that you often get still enough for the Holy Spirit to inspire you. So parents, when the next time your kids say, we're bored, please don't go into a frenetic sort of worry tiz over that. Let them. Let them be bored. You know what happens? I'm just going to tell you what happened when, when people of my generation got bored when we were kids. We actually found something to do. <laughs> Does anyone remember those days? What about giving out? What about producing? What about being creative? And the very fact that we're about to read a piece of literature where someone would have had to craft this. Someone would have had to think about this. And this man, Jeremiah, was full of the Spirit of God. And he wrote this masterpiece in Hebrew poetry. It's incredible production. And I, I hope that in this church, songs rise up. I hope that God raises up minstrels and uh, psalmists who can write songs based on, uh, let me say, based on the sermons that are preached in this church. So don't just be consumers this morning. Here I am delivering something to you. And can you hear my heart here? You can, you can take it and consume it, but now process it and do something with it produce something with it. So this is 
you came near when I called on you. And we're going to see this gives us an, a window. This is this fishbowl thing, a window into Jeremiah's relationship with God. I, I just tell you straight up, when, when I see people who throw their hands in the air in a clenched fist and go, I'm, I've had enough of you, God, I'm walking away, because of certain things that have happened, not to them, but in their context, in, in people that let them down or things that have happened and, and they give up on God, I, I, just tell you quite, I, I just do not understand that at all. I don't get it at all. I heard the story of a lady in a, a mining town in North Queensland where the, the church was um, uh, full of people uh, who were part of the mining community and it was a vibrant church and, the, and it was just... And then the mine closed and people eventually moved out of town and this one lady decided she wasn't going anywhere and so, it, so eventually it came down to the fact that she was the only one in that church left. So every Sunday, she would come down, unlock the church, come in, sweep it out, sit down and pray. And she did that for months and months and years. And then they reopened the mine. And that was the only functioning church in that town. And it was soon full again. And I think, why didn't that lady throw her hands in the air and go, ah, oh, what's the point? Probably because she loved God. And her coming to church had nothing to do with who saw her, who else was there, or any of those external reasons. I'm inspired by that. It's one of the reasons why we've continued to zig while everyone else zags with their Sunday night service. We have a Sunday night service. Um, I did hear the story of... Because Sunday night services are not that popular now because it takes effort to come out again. It can be cold. Uh, it can be dark at night. Uh, when I heard that F.W. Boreham, when he started in New Zealand, a 24-year-old pastor who was preaching in a little place called Mosgiel in a town of 1,000 people, uh, 150 people came out on a Sunday morning to hear him. When they heard him, that this is back in 1895, so this is kerosene lamps, no heat pumps, no fire. This is the South Island of New Zealand. It gets cold in winter. And, and Dunedin, out, just outside of Dunedin, a little place called Mosgill, he, he, he said, we're having a Sunday night service, a 7pm Sunday night service. And if you've ever lived in a, in a dairy town, as this was, you know why 7pm and not 6pm? Because it takes you that long to milk the cows, get in, clean up and get to church. Because I, I passed it as a, I was a youth uh, guy in, in uh, Shepparton. And we had, we had a church largely of dairy farmers and orchardists and 7pm. Anyway, so these people would ride to church in horse and buggy in the middle of winter to come to a 7pm service lit by kerosene lamps to worship God. And it wasn't just because F.W. Boreham was going to be the greatest preacher, because at the time he wasn't the greatest preacher. But they came because they loved God. And I hear stories like that and I think, man, we got heat pumps, we got carpet, we got a roof that doesn't leak. Well, technically, we've got, we've got a great facility that makes it very, very comfortable. We can do Sunday night and we do it at 5.30, so it's still not too late anyway. But it's a part of our zigging. I did hear of a, a church where one of the, the, the elders had appointed a new pastor and the pastor came in and started making changes and 
one of the changes he made was he actually cancelled the Sunday night service because it was so poorly attended. And um, three months later, when the elders found out, they were ticked. But Jeremiah, his relationship with God was not dependent on those around him. Certainly wasn't dependent on his circumstances because his circumstances were pretty bleak. So consider this. Jeremiah loved God, trusted God, kept a relationship with God despite having no friends. He had a secretary who his name was Baruch. But he wasn't a confidant. He wasn't a friend. Jeremiah had no friends. And this did not stop him from worshipping God. Jeremiah's leaders, the leaders, the spiritual leaders, the political leaders of the day, the civic leaders, were hypocrites. And the worst kind of hypocrites. Horrible. Committing all kinds of abuse against women and children. The worst kind of abuse. And these were the leaders that Jeremiah had. These were the temple leaders that Jeremiah had. And yet Jeremiah continued to worship God. Consider that in the community where Jeremiah ministered, there was wickedness. Now, wickedness is different just to everyday, ordinary sin. Sin is when you do the wrong thing. Wickedness is when you do that and you know it's wrong. And wickedness... See, wickedness comes from an archery term, which means the arrow has a kink in it. And so when the archer would shoot the arrow and the arrow would go mostly straight, mostly straight, and then boom, miss the target, they'd say that was a wicked arrow. Because it looked straight, but there was just enough of a kink in it to miss the mark. In fact, that's what the word sin means too, by the way. It's also an archery term to shoot an arrow and miss the mark. The standard, the bullseye, is the word Sin in Greek, it's the word hamatia, hamatia actually, hamatia, sin. So he lived in a, a time when wickedness was rampant. And Jeremiah also battled rejection. He was utterly rejected by those he was trying to help and minister to. And yet, despite all of this, Jeremiah maintained a relationship with God. And we come to this beautiful passage in verses 55, 56, 57, where Jeremiah says this and he writes his prayer down. And it's this. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. And you know what? He literally did. We read through the book of Jeremiah that he had a rope tied around his feet and he was thrown down an abandoned well where there was just mud and it's, it's that kind of stuff where people would throw all kinds of stuff down these wells and it became like the stuff at the bottom was called mire. And Jeremiah was left in a pit of mire. And so when he says that, he's not just being poetic. He's actually declaring something that, that actually happened, not just theory. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? Interestingly, it's an expression that doesn't occur that often in Scripture. There's variations of it. The psalmist talks about it. Others talk about it. But to call on the name of the Lord simply means this. 
to ask God for his help. The psalmist actually says this is what those who know God should do. Call on the name of the Lord. Call on the name of the Lord. If we had the time, we would probably do a little bit of a study on what the name of God means. And we would see that ultimately when we put all of the things that the Bible informs us about the name of God, we would see this, that it tells us that he is good, he is caring, he is merciful, he's loving. And all of those things are embedded and invested in his name. And when I say he is always loving, that's the eternality of God. He doesn't change, he's steadfast, he's faithful. He's not... He's not like we are. We, we wake up on the wrong side of the bed or something and we're grumpy that day and then something good happens and then we're happy. And, but God's not capricious like that. He's not up and down. He's just always good, always faithful. So when we call on the name of God, when we call on the name of the Lord, we're calling on the God who is always good, can only do good and only ever does good. And he knows what is in our interest. He knows what's good for us. And we call on him. It's a statement of saying, God, I trust you and I need your help to get through this. And I've said this before. I know it was those guys who wrote the song Bridge Over Troubled Water, Simon and Garfunkel. But God is not always, in fact, hardly ever your bridge over troubled water. He's your hand holding your hand through troubled water. He'll get you through. He'll get you through. And so when we call on the name of the Lord, we're actually asking God to help us. God, help me to get through this. Help me to get through this. Help me to get through this. I think, again, I've said this before, I think God allows his children to go through times of adversity. I think God does that so that the world can see what the difference is between someone who knows him and someone who doesn't. Because when we go through adversity and we know him, we call on his name. We ask him for help. There are some people who battle with sexual, unwanted sexual desires. And if that's you, I applaud you. There are some people who battle mental illness. And they muster as much as they can to maintain a positive attitude. And for you, I stand back and applaud. Well done. Good battling. Well done. Keep it up. There are others who battle disappointment with God and they approach the altar of God on a Sunday as they meet in the house of the Lord and the congregation of the, of the beloved and they lift their hands and they say, I do not understand what you are doing, but I know in my heart that you are a good God and for that I worship you. And I know you're battling to do that and I know your worship is a sacrifice of praise. And for you, I say, well done. Well done. Call on the name of the Lord and ask him for help. Because in adversity, in times that are adverse, that's not the time to forsake God. It's not the time to forsake God. In fact, adverse times are the times that you should call upon the name of the Lord. And I think much injury has happened by, dare I say it, and I know that there are people in America watching this right now, so please forgive me for bundling you in this, but I think there is a, an element that's come out of America that says, uh, if you love God, you'll always be healthy, wealthy, and happy. And can I tell you that that might work for the top-end tele-evangelists who get their private jets and their millions of dollars each year in 
in donations. But the reality is we see in Scripture that not everybody who loved God was always healthy. Not everybody who loved God was always wealthy. And not everybody who loved God was always happy. So if you can learn that even if you're not healthy, to call on the name of the Lord, even in worship, God, I love you. I love you. I'm in pain, but I love you and I trust you. And call on the name of the Lord. God, please heal me. Don't give up praying for that. And can I tell you, I'm not just a theoretical preacher on that. I ask God for his healing touch. And I ask it for you too. I remember reading Smith Wigglesworth when he was in the most, the, the period of, of the greatest, described by his biographer, as the greatest season of anointing on his life, where there were extraordinary miracles of healing happening. His biographer says this, those were the times when Smith Wigglesworth himself was in the greatest duress from gallstones. There are times when he was buckled over in pain, couldn't even approach the pulpit, and he would pray one more prayer and God would give him the grace to come and stand in the pulpit. He'd preach to thousands. He would declare words of knowledge. People would be healed. He'd touch people. People would be healed. He would come up the stage and buckle over in pain again. Go figure that out, except for the fact that this is the grace of God. This is why I'm quite confident when I say, come on, come forward and be prayed for prayer. And you go, you? You crippled geriatric preacher who is buckled over half... You, you have an anointing of healing? Pfft. Well, you never know because it's the grace of God, not the person. So, are you hearing me? Or are you bewildered? <laughs> now, can I just flip that as well? That when you're not feeling great, the grace of God can often flow through you. And you might go, well, couldn't you just leave some cement in the mixer a bit, God? You know, can I just have a bit of this as well? But it's the grace of God. And didn't the Apostle Paul say this in 2 Corinthians 13? He was seeing extraordinary miracles. He, he lists them a chapter or two before. And then he says, and three times I cried out to God, please, can I have some? And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. I'll get you through, not over. So we read in verse 56, Jeremiah saying this, you heard my plea. And he did, because he's not writing this in a pit. God eventually did get him out of a pit. And then he says this, and have a think about this. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. Now, why would he even think that God would ever close his ear to anyone's cry for help? Does God ever close his ear to someone's cry for help? Yeah, he does. Uh, in fact, let me give you one example of why God would close his ear to someone's cry for help. Psalm 66 verse 18 is very insightful here. This is, I think, David praying. and David says this as a statement of fact about who God chooses to close his ear to. David says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have what? Listened. The Lord would not have listened. So here's who God closes his ear to. Those who are worshipping their sin and still calling on him. Hear what I'm saying? Those who worship their sin, because it's, it's in their heart. 
You see, we all sin, but that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily define who we are. It's, as I've said before, it's the same as when uh, Jeff, a builder, builds something and I build something that doesn't make me a builder. And if you've ever been to my backyard and seen what I call a pergola, what Jeff, who came to my house for a barbecue once and looked up at it and said, so what's that? In the same sense, just because you sin, it doesn't make you a sinner. Because you build, it doesn't make you a builder. When Christ has saved you, you may still fall, but it doesn't change your identity. But this is someone who cherished iniquity in their heart. The Bible says God's not going to play that game. Not going to play that game. So the next time you meet someone who says, Oh, pfft. I don't even think God's real. I prayed to him once, which is an interesting connection. If you connect, I don't think he exists, so I prayed to him. That's just a, by the way. And he didn't answer my prayer at all. (laughs) Have you ever tried praying this prayer? Oh God, I invite you to take over my life. Break me, make me, mould me, shape me, remove those things from my life that you don't want there. Even if I resist, Just take over complete control of my life. Amen. You ever prayed that prayer and see what happens? Because that's where it starts. It's called surrender. And that's that's what worship is, by the way. It is surrender. So here, Jeremiah is, is saying, you rescued me from the pit. And he says, God, I don't want you to close your ear to my cry for help. In other words... I don't think I've been unfaithful to you, God. I'm trying to be faithful to you, God. Faithful to you. Verse 57. He says this. You came near when I called on you and you said... Now, I want you to think of where this is happening. Jeremiah's remembering it. He's in a pit, literally down a 30-foot hole. And he's calling on the name of God for help. And this is the answer he got from God. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. And I reckon if I was at the bottom of a pit in stinking, putrid mire, and I heard God say that, I reckon I'd be okay. I'm with you. Don't fear. It's okay. I'll get you through this. Wouldn't that be enough? I heard someone say, all it takes is one word from God to change your whole life. And just that, don't be afraid. Do not fear. I think there are some of you, as I was preparing this, looking at this, I just sense the Holy Spirit saying there are some, there are some in this church who are gripped by fear. And there are certain things you haven't done. There are certain things you won't do because you're afraid. And thus says the Lord, I'm with you. Do not fear. And this is what we see in this passage, and I think it's a principle. God gives peace in times of adversity. And here's the the bit you may not see. It's the asterisk. It's the fine print on the contract. But this is good, despite our circumstances. And I, I hope you've heard me say this over the course of this year, that peace with God is not dependent on 
your circumstances. Your peace doesn't come from out there. Your peace comes from God within here. So you may have just lost your job. You may have had a significant relationship just come to an end. And all of these things may have caught you off guard. And they cause you to feel your heart in your head when you put your head on a pillow at night. That's stress. And they cause you to feel anxiety and they cause you to become irritable. And it's not a change of circumstances that will give you the peace that comes from within. It's trusting God. Trusting God. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. For me, be it Christ, be it Christ, hence to live. If Jordan above me shall roll, no pang shall be mine, for in death as in life thou wilt whisper. Thy peace to my soul, it is well with my soul. God's peace is available to us irrespective of what our circumstances are. How do you answer the question, is it well with your soul? More from Dr Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, You Came Near When I Called You, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.